This episode is brought to you in part by Candorel. Coming soon, a luxury master-planned condominium community rising at the corner of Bathurst and St. Clair. Situated directly on the subway and streetcar line, a monument of architecture and interior design, a timeless expression of glamour and grace. Forêt Forest Hill. Register today at liveatforet.ca. That's live at f-o-r-e-t dot c-a. This is Bonjour Chai, as Canadian as possible under the circumstances. I'm Avi Feingold, somewhere between Montreal and Toronto. Uh, I'm here with Alana Zakon in Montreal. Don't worry, David Sklar is still in Calgary. On today's show, we uh, talk to a new immigrant about what it's like to immigrate to our great country. We speak to the publisher of the CJN, Yoni Goldstein, to talk about what is the Canadian Jewish experience in 2022. And we give you a nice little extended analysis of wonderful culture that has come out of Canada in the past little while. David, Alana, Canada Day is upon us. Um, it feels great to be Canadian. I'm on a road trip, which is about as Canadian as it could possibly be. That's why my sound is, uh, you know, a little weird. Uh, I'm literally on the road uh, between Toronto, where I was doing some work, and uh, coming back home to Montreal. Uh, I got to say, Canada is really stressful for me personally because it is uh, it is both the birthday of my wife and my mother and my country, oh. or I should say, oh. it is the birthday of all three of those. It is incredibly stress-inducing, um, but we make sure to make it work. At least you get the day off work. You know, you can sure. do more things. Yeah. I don't think Abby ever takes a day off work. I don't. Well, um, I don't. Your wife gets a day off. Maybe uh, it's her birthday. She better. Okay. Well, there you go. I assume you're driving down the 401, the most flat and boring piece of highway in North America. Oh come on! No, the 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 the, the, the flattest and most boring piece is like anywhere between Winnipeg and DC and the yeah. prairies. Yeah, it's very flat. I have done it. But as, <laughs> but as you drive, you know you're heading towards the mountains, as opposed to on the 401, you're either t- heading towards the big smoke or La Belle Province. Yeah, La Belle Province. I, uh, you know, I, I like to say that we're between the big apple and the big orange when you go on the 401 from Montreal, Toronto. Uh, mm, that's good. <laughs> good. Um, yeah. So you know, I'm making this drive. Uh, it's uh, it's nice. I got a nice electric vehicle. Very nice and Canadian, environmentally uh, conscious of me. Uh, I'm sure you Calgarians probably hate these things, but uh, it's been good. Are you kidding? We have so many EVs in this province, and our government is giving us deductions for anyone who purchases an EV. We are the more advanced. I know you like to think in the East you're all about environmental protection. We in the West, despite uh, our, our love of oil, we are the sunniest place in all of Canada, southern Alberta, and we're big. We are massive on um, solar panels and EV machines. You know, it, it, this actually brings me, it reminds me of a story that's in uh, Charles Bronfman's uh, memoir of uh, him growing up. And his father was Sam Bronfman, who was, of course, Seagram's. And he once asked his dad, you know, why doesn't he drink, you know, the good stuff? Because he was always drinking Seven Crown at home. And his dad looks at him, he goes, you know, Chivas is for selling, right? Crown, seven Crown is for, is for drinking. Right. And you, 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 you Albertans just want to sell the oil, but you realize that like, you don't need to consume it. Right. So that's why you're all filled with you know, electric vehicles right there. Hey, right? hey, Mr. Mr. Quebec, you're going to get all of our royalty soon enough from that oil. You'll be able to you know, fund every kind of ridiculous amusement to your heart's content in Montreal based on Alberta's oil. So so pot black kind of thing happening right now, I think. Perhaps. Perhaps. OK, well. Without further ado, let's get to our uh, star-studded lineup of stories uh, to get you through your long Canada Day weekend. Hello, 
So Canada is known as a land of immigrants, and we really wanted to get that perspective from a recent arrival from Israel in terms of how they find the uh, country of Canada, what their experience has been, and if there's any differences and contrasts between where they come from in Israel to where they are living currently in Montreal. So with that, we turn right now to Shauli Talmor. Shauli, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Hi, hello. Hello. Thanks for joining us. So... Uh, you came in November. Can you tell us a bit about what that process was like of making your way over here from Israel? Yeah, so basically we came uh, due to my partner's PhD in McGill. Uh, so we came on a, he's on a student visa and I'm on a work permit. Uh, we are about to stay around uh, four years, uh, it depends on the PhD, you know. Uh, we came with our daughter, Mia, who is uh, two and a half years old. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the, the bureaucracy process was pretty straightforward, I assume. Uh, Quebec obviously has its own, uh, you know, extra fun. Oh, we know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we know the headaches of Quebec systems. But nothing more than that. Just a usual, you know, uh, uh, relocation, I would say, uh, with, a, with a baby girl. So uh, not a baby, but with a toddler. So. And I know you are based in Montreal. Can you talk at all about the unique dif- the uniqueness of the Canadian Jewish community in Montreal? I would say that since we got here, we, we attended to, to some uh, event uh, of the Jewish community here. And Omet's obviously uh, helping us a lot. And it's really great. I mean, uh, you feel like, uh, in general, Montreal is very Jewish. Like we walk around the yes. city and we see a lot of Jews, uh, yeah. which is nice. Um, yeah, the community is pretty supportive, I would say, and welcoming and warm. Yeah, yeah. it was a really good experience. What do you miss most about uh, your home country that, uh, that you wish Canada was much better at? Or in other words, how much worse is the falafel and the hummus in Montreal or in Canada in general? So we only had falafel once uh, in a famous place, uh, which was really good. Hummus, unfortunately, we didn't find it yet, so I hope I would... I actually wanted to make it this weekend from scratch, but no hummus, uh, which is sad. <laughs> uh, what am I missing the most? Of course, family and friends. It's like uh, every morning, uh, it's, 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 it's hard. It's, it's heartbreaking, yeah. It's family and friends is, the I would say, the toughest. Yeah. And was it, this, was it your first time in Montreal when you moved? Had you visited before? So no, due to COVID, we weren't able to visit the city. So we just okay. came to Montreal first time once we moved here. We did, uh, we did visit Canada a lot before because Mia, our daughter, was born here via surrogacy uh, journey. Uh, it was uh, nearby, in, it was in Ontario, nearby uh, Toronto. And therefore we stayed in Toronto a lot. So we thought, how different could it be? It's the same country. And then not, not long after we landed, we realized that we moved to Quebec uh, and not to Canada, but we are getting used to it. Are there uh, places in Canada that you're very curious to travel to or that you want to learn more about? Can you name us a few examples? Yeah, of course. We wish to go to the Rockies, obviously, and to the West Coast, um, as well as to discover a lot of nice uh, places in Quebec that we didn't have the chance to do yet. I hope you realize that the Rockies is very far from Montreal. It's not like Israel, where you say it's... uh, we're going to the Golan. It's an afternoon trip. Yes, yes. Yes, it's six hours. Long. Now, Shauli, Sh- I'm, I'm going to assume you, you're with your partner. You had your child through surrogacy. Um, you are you are gay? Yes. 
I am. So I'm curious about the difference in the queer community between Israel and in Montreal in Canada. How have you found the differences, especially during this month of Pride? So we didn't actually, uh, I mean, here I didn't feel it a lot yet because I assume the parade in Montreal is during August. You know why? You know why the Pride Parade is in August in Montreal? Because at some point they wanted everybody to do Pride around the world. And then this would be the seum of Pride, that the last Pride in around the world and everybody would come the closure would come to montreal for the big crazy parties that's the most canadian thing imaginable okay so uh, looking forward i guess so yeah there are a lot of differences because in israel we are you're obviously the situation is much i mean it's it's very different uh, with the gay community or lgbt because you obviously we are we're not able to get married uh, in israel or to have uh, babies via surrogacy in israel so here we feel like uh, equal uh, uh, in front of the law, I, unlike in Israel, that you are like uh, the second best or a number two citizen. So. so Canada gave us the right to be parents, which is the most, the biggest thing we have ever had in our lives. So yeah, we will be grateful for that forever, I assume. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming to chat with us and good luck with your new uh, journey in Montreal. Hope you enjoy yourself. As, as winter uh, uh, disappears and we really, I mean, everything is so amazing and the blossom and people are waking back to life and the city oh, yeah. is alive and we are really amazed with uh, the vibe. Uh, and yeah, we, we are waiting to, to, to get some more of it as time goes by. Ruchim habayim. Toda Canada Day weekend is upon us and uh, we wanted to come up with some uh, ideas and stories that are very Canadian. But before we did that, we really wanted to think about what is the nature of uh, Canadian Jewry in 2022? What is the state of Judaism in Canada and Canadian Jews? Um, who better to do that with than the publisher and person who is you know, most uh, able to see from the bird's eye view and from the, from the trees as well as the forest, um, our uh, fearless leader and publisher, uh, Yoni Goldstein, uh, the, the you know, person at the top of a Canadian Jewish news. Yoni, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Thanks, great to be here. So, you know, we were talking about this last night over, uh, we had a nice drinks-fueled conversation about uh, a lot of different things. Uh, I was in Toronto last night and we had a conversation with you and uh, Mark Weisblatt. How does Canadian Judaism feel in 2022? What is it different uh, than it used to be? Uh, what's the direction you think we're going towards? You know, um... Uh, in my late 20s, uh, I was asked to write uh, an article as part of a Canada Day series for an online uh, Canadian publication around the uh, theme of, like, why do you love Canada? And I sat and thought about it for a while. And uh, what I ended up writing was that I didn't love Canada, that I really, really, really liked Canada and appreciated all of its values and appreciated what it had done for me and for my community. Uh, but I didn't love it. And I didn't feel that loving uh, your country was was an important Canadian value. That was one of the things I really appreciated about it. I think as I've you know gotten older and um, uh, especially had kids and as they start to grow up and uh, seeing you know what's happening around the world and um, things even uh, things even uh, on our doorsteps. And uh, I definitely have a much higher appreciation and probably even like a love for Canada now. Uh, because of what it's done for uh, my family and I, and um, and I think also what it's what it's done for the Jewish community. If I was to like to answer your question, if I was going to like encapsulate 
what Canadian Jewry means in 2022 and, you know, and try to tie it into something that the CJN um, has been doing this year, it would be the story, uh, the passing uh, of Julia Kaczynski here in Toronto a few months ago, uh, a woman who was a mentor to all sorts of people in the Jewish community um uh from a family that uh that escaped uh the nazis and uh, eventually made their way to canada and uh built a very successful company uh business and also helped uh, in a very significant way to build a jewish community here to build the schools that we have uh, the community centers that we have the aid organizations that we have the advocacy that we have uh and um and Julie, uh, you know, I knew her from when I was a kid because we went to the same synagogue. So I knew her and I, I, I knew her kids and grandkids who were closer to my age. And I, and I could really see like um, how knowledge and uh, appreciation uh, and sort of drive to improve the lives of the people around you uh, is passed from one generation to the next. And, uh, you know, I think after, I think when Julie passed away, there was no like, worry as there might be in other families or big leadership communities that there wouldn't be people from within from people that she had taught very well either because they were in family or because she was a mentor to them about how to continue the path um you know the the probably the biggest lesson i ever learned from julie was um to just get things done and uh that was one of the guiding ethos for me even when it when it came to restarting the cjn um, I don't think any of us on this call and anybody who's been at the CJN over the last 18 months knew exactly what was going to happen. Um, and there were definitely existential crises along the way, but all of us were committed to like getting this done and to seeing it through. And I think, you know, we've gotten it to a point now where we can start to look at the future and figure out how we're going to grow and how we're going to serve our community better. Um, and that's a credit to the people involved in, in the CJN, the same way that, it, you know, the same way that it's a credit to the leaders in our community who try to pass, uh, pass on their knowledge to future generations. And, you know, in the case of Julie, she did it with such grace and humility and um, great etiquette and, and, and a smile. And I think, you know, if I were to encapsulate what, what being Jewish in Canada means to me and what I think its best aspects are, it would probably be wrapped up in, in those lessons. That's beautiful. So I want to go back to Avi's other question about maybe some of the highlights from the past year. How has Canada's jury changed um, because of, you know, COVID or pol politics or anything that's been going on um, in the wider community, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's true that there's like, the same way that there's an underlying current in society right now of like this um, lack of trust and, and um, really just uncertainty about where any of us are in life. And that's been exacerbated by COVID, but also, you know, by, by social media, you know, I think maybe we've uh, hopefully gotten past the worst of it. I know we talked a lot about this sort of behind the doors in the early days of restarting the CJN at a time when, you know, people were at home and, and, you know, and had really nothing to do other than worry about, you know, their lives and their families and their loved ones. And I think a lot of that came out in some pretty, you know, ugly rhetoric online. Um, I'm glad to say that we uh, we survived that that kind of short era at the beginning. 
And um, I think we made a conscious effort to like not try to not uh, wade into or to not make big cultural arguments or big political issues where they aren't. Uh, maybe that's one of the things that um, that makes us different than than other Jews around the world and other countries around the world, like a, a sense that. Uh, like a little voice in our heads that that stops us from our worst impulses. Um, that seems to me to be kind of like a Canadian value to not just scream the first thing that comes to your head, but to try and have try and have some you know better better thoughts to it and to try uh, and have some fun as well. Like that, I think has been the biggest thing that the CJN has contributed to Jewish Canada over the last year is like getting back to having some fun. It's great to have. you know, news and uh, opinions, um, but like to hear people just talking and having conversations and learning new things, sharing ideas, like that can be good fun. And in a way we, we lost that and we've forgotten that through the pandemic. But that's the thing that I smile about most when I, when I think about the CJN on a daily basis, like the ways that it makes me smile and, you know, the ways that I hear from other people that it's, you know, helping their enjoyment of life and of Jewish life too. You talk about fun, and I, I feel when it is Canada Day, I want to have fun. I want to go out and celebrate, have the barbecue, enjoy the fireworks. But at the same time, sort of this happened when the Freedom Convoy was making its big to-do down in Coots at the border of Alberta, also in Ottawa. And it was the first time I saw the Canadian flag in a symbol that did not represent me, that made me very uncomfortable. There were a bunch of truckers driving around Alberta with Canadian flags turned upside down. And... For me, it was the first time that said, ooh, this is a symbol that I've known, respected, loved, was inspired by, that said, this makes me feel icky. Now, for many people, this isn't the first time that that symbol has made them feel this way. You know, I think of the unmarked graves um, around the West, you know, with residential schools. And now for them, that symbol has never felt good. How do we have that fun and combine it at the same time with the responsibility as good citizens of Canada? How do we enjoy our hamburgers, hot dogs on the barbecue with the fireworks and then sort of say as Canadians, we still have more to do? Well, I mean, look, like the simple answer is that I can't think of anything more Jewish than, than, than that sort of conversation. Like those are, that's basically the conversation we have at the Seder every year. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, it's a, sort of also the kind of internal conversation I'm always having with myself. Like, can you enjoy things while also recognizing that they're not as good as they could or should be? Um, yeah, it's a tough question. I, it's a tough question. I saw, I saw a new Canadian survey this morning that had it sort of broken down between like 40% of Canadian surveyed said we should just celebrate Canada Day. Another 40 said we should celebrate, but we should also be mindful of, of our past. And there was there was about ten or twelve percent uh, more who said uh, we shouldn't be celebrating at all. Um, I think there are ways for us to celebrate uh, who we are, where we've come, and especially now having gotten over you know a, a brief at least ray of light over the last couple of years. Like we should be celebrating that, and it's healthy to celebrate. Um, it's not. I don't think it's healthy to always be looking at um, uh, at our lesser values. Uh, we should know about them and we should be working on them. But uh, the the Jewish way, at least as I've learned it growing up, is to be able to hold those things simultaneously. And um, and each informs the other, but they're also both kind of independent. And I, I think you can do that. So there's so much that resonates with what you're saying, Yoni. You know, we have actually, I think 
I think it's fair to say, and we've never really discussed this, but we have a lot of similar shared background and we're coming from the same, roughly the same time period of doing these uh, things and reflecting on these moments. Um, when I was in my 20s, I, I think I had a very different approach to what you were writing about. When I really, really loved Canada, I was really into Canadian music. It was, you know, I would say probably peak Canadian music era with between Great Big C and the hip still being very popular. And uh, it was the beginning of the rise of the, the indie scene in Montreal and Toronto, and all this stuff. And I love Canada. I was able to say I was so patriotic and I was so proud of it. Uh, you know, my name is Joe and I am Canadian was like, you know, the, the rallying cry for so much, um, you know, so many Canadians around that time. Um, and, and it felt good to be both Jewish and Canadian and this, um, you know, and, and that was there. Um, and I, I moved to the States and I came back and all of a sudden I felt a lot more parv about it because I started seeing a lot of the cracks in what was going on in society, in Canadian society, that we weren't actually perfect. Um, and that's when I started realizing that, you know, I may still love Canada or like, like, like Canada, however you wanted to define it. Um, but I was able to say that, you know, we are flawed, that there are some issues, but that that was the Canadian way was being able to accept Right. And that that's, you know, a deeper love. That's not the love of like when you have a relationship and you're in your early 20s. It's when you've had a lot of experience, you've been in a relationship for a long time with the same person and you realize that that person is flawed, um, but you're also flawed and your flaws complement each other and you're able to live with those flaws and you're able to know how to work with those flaws. That became, that has become really my relationship to Canada where I realized that we have a lot of problems and contrary to other countries, right, that are maybe, you know, just to the south of us, uh, we're not blindly patriotic. We may still like Canada, we may still love Canada, um, but it's there in a, in a way that says, I accept that there are things that I still have to fix. And that Julia Kuczynski piece, right, that you're talking about is, um, is really the ethos, I think, of the Canadian Jewish experience in that way. And that it's not about the self-made man. It's not about self-made person, as the case may be here, right? It's not about this, like, we just have to, you know, it's all for the person, for, for myself, and I'm going to go out and work it, right? What I love about Canada is that you arrive in Canada, or you're born here, and you have this shared sense of responsibility. Your job is to help make this better, right? To, to fix this, to move things forward, um, and not just to go and say, it's you know, sheer capitalism, you know, I'm here for myself, and, and if you're not here to help me get out of the way, or you're not here for me, get out of the way. Um, and, and, and I've really, it, it's become a lot more nuanced as a Canadian Jew because of all of these various pieces. And I don't know um, if that resonates with you. Um, I, I know that that's become very much my experience where I still love Canada and I still feel like I'm part of it, um, but it's being able to realize that the flaws are there. Um, and that's true also within the Jewish community where I, I think there was a much greater trust back then of large government and of our local Jewish government, so to speak, the larger Jewish institutions, that trust isn't necessarily there, but that doesn't really erode people's pride in being Jewish anymore, uh, even though they, they don't have that. Yeah, like what, the, what, that, what this um, says to me, like when I hear you talking about that is like a, a leadership, uh, a problem with leadership, a leadership vacuum maybe. Uh, and that's a Jewish issue as much as it is like a, a national and international issue, like, you know, trust in politicians and leaders of all sorts is, you know, at, at about a, 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 as low as I've seen it in my life. Um, and uh, there's definitely something to that. I, I don't think, I think there are, I don't think, um, you know, there have been enough leaders in the world in the last couple of years who have like stood up and done the right things. Uh, and we don't, you know, we're, especially younger people are lacking like those kind of role models, like I was talking about before, who are going to, you know, make them want to stand up and be leaders also. There's no question that we need uh, a lot of new blood in uh, leadership positions in Canada. 
community, business, politics, everything. Uh, and I hope that one of the big lessons that people will take out of the pandemic and, and sort of the, you know, some of those aspects of feeling helpless over the last couple of years is, you know, no, I don't have to feel helpless. If I want to see things uh, better, I'm going to have to get off my ass and and actually do something. So, you know, the leadership vacuum is there, uh, but I think there are people who can fill it. Uh, some of them are on this call right here. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap this up. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Yoni. My pleasure. All right, so uh, one of the things that I love about uh, you know, Canada Day is we get to celebrate what's great in Canadian. Um, and I thought we would take a few minutes to a uh, little more extended analysis about what's been uh, on our radars that's been great and Canadian over the past little while. Um, so, David, what's been great and Canadian in your in your life over the past little while? Okay, so my first analysis is going to go to the band Bobby and the Others. Bobby Goddard uh, is a performer that used to be based in Calgary, but when the pandemic hit, she decided to fulfill her lifelong dream of living in Mexico and ended up staying in Puerto Vallarta. Uh, over the past two years, she's performed in clubs and theaters all over town, put together a band with some Mexican musicians, and finally, as of yesterday, has returned to the land of maple syrup and is currently on tour in Alberta and BC. So I think we should all welcome her back and let's take a listen. Alana, Alana, what's made you feel good in Canadian over the past little while? So if uh, we rewind back to right before uh, the dreaded COVID started, the last play that I saw was Old Stock, A Refugee Love Story by Hannah Moskovich, which I saw through the Push Festival in Vancouver. Um, it is a klezmer music theater show uh, with Ben Kaplan, who's an amazing uh, klezmer musician. Um, and it tells the story of two Jewish Romanian refugees coming to Canada uh, in the early 1900s, which is the same time around that my family came over from Eastern Europe. So when I watched it, there was a lot that I resonated with. And the music is, is absolutely beautiful. With all of my pity upon you, all of my pity upon you, my luck can only get better, yours is bound to be worse, now I see it upon you, the traveler's curse. I saw that at the Seagull Center uh, before the pandemic, and I got to hang out with uh, Ben after the show. It was, it really was remarkable. Well, look at you. <laughs> Whatever. He was, it's not like, yes, it's, great. it's the Seagull Center. He was just around, and we, you know, had a beer. <laughs> What's yours, Avi? Okay, so uh, my first nachos is going to be for uh, the new album from Queen Kong. Queen Kong is a band um, out of Toronto, uh, headed up by Lori Wolf, who is uh, a friend of mine and is wonderful, and this. A uh, new album was recorded, uh, you know, during the pandemic. It's uh, definitely not one of those uh, shitty bedroom pop albums that everybody decided to, like, get done. This was a quality um, recording uh, during the, uh, you know, quality in terms of, like, how great the music was um, during the pandemic. And uh, I really liked it. It's uh, energetic. It's more than just klezmer. Um, I love, first of all, the title, Queen Kong, is great. Uh, she also has a, a wedding band called The Hora Machine, um, which is you know, super fun. I've been to weddings with her there and uh, like, 
yeah, um, let's listen to a clip from Queen Pop. you back to me next Nachis is going to go to ellie moon ellie moon is a canadian british actor playwright and screenwriter she wrote the screenplay for and starred in the feature film adult adoption it just uh, a few months ago was at the glasgow film festival got some amazing reviews i would encourage everyone to check it out here is the trailer to adult adoption i'm sure if you google it it's a thing everything's a thing is it okay that i called you kiddo Oh, no, no. You've only met me an hour. I'm actually really unstable. Right. Back to you, Alana. My next nachas goes out to Martha Shabas, who just released a new book called My Face in the Light. It came out in April of this year and was a most anticipated book by the CBC and the Globe and Mail. It's uh, about an actor, which I can relate to. Um, who has an artist mother and they have a very complicated relationship. I won't really give away too much more than that, but I'm really loving it so far. It's written in this really detailed, nuanced, almost stream of consciousness uh, style that's quite poetic and personal. And uh, here's a little clip of my interview with the author herself. And so talking a bit about uh, My Face in the Light, which I'm really enjoying, by the way. I'm about a quarter of the way through. Oh, uh, what inspired you to write this particular story? Um, I really wanted to explore a mother-daughter relationship uh, where the mother derived all sense of meaning in her life from her art to the extent that she really, she renounces kind of more material and conventional values um, and the fallout that would have on a daughter who doesn't feel capable of the same artistic output. She doesn't feel capable of the same passion. I was really interested in exploring the kind of richness that that artist mother figure can bring to, to a child bringing her up, but also, I don't know, the, the element of narcissism, of, of self-interest, of neglect that comes with that too. And if you're a quarter mm. of the way into the novel, you've probably already read some of those parts. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I guess I wanted to, yeah, I was really curious about the complexity of that relationship. I too, I'm gonna go for a book, um, a friend of mine, uh, just published a novel, Leia, uh, by Ariella Friedman. Ariella is a wonderful author and a professor at Concordia University. Um, Leia is the story of Leia Roback, a fictionalized, a thinly, uh, you know, sort of based on a lot of true events, but is it is absolutely a novel um, in terms of its fictionness, so to speak. It is very well written, very like you know, very clear, lucid prose, um, great plot. Um, I cannot recommend this book enough. I love uh, Leah Roback. I did a podcast on her, a podcast episode on her several years ago for another series that I was doing. And I really got interested in that. Um, I, I, for that, for those of you who are interested, you should go check it out. It's on Epilogue uh, from the Jewish Public Library and it's available on their site and on my, uh, mine as well. And that episode where we actually discover about Leah Roback that the archive to the Jewish Public Library that has all of this collection from Leah Roback, um, part of the collection, I love this, is that uh, they have two of her braids as part of the collection of, uh, you know, in the archives of the Jewish Public Library. Um, it's really cool, but that's just secondary to the uh, great novel 
uh, that is Leah by Ariella Friedman. My name is Ariella Friedman. I'm the author of the novel Leah about the Montreal Jewish activist and feminist Leah Roback. I'm going to read something from the beginning about the Medinet strike in 1937, the garment workers strike that Leah helped organize and that changed conditions for workers in Montreal for the better for many decades which followed. Something about Leah is hard to pin down. Her narrow face, her raw-boned cheeks and china blue eyes can shift in an instant from inconspicuous to remarkable. Depending on how she's dressed and where she is, she can look French or English, Catholic or Jewish, even her name, Roback. She could be from anywhere. Sometimes she is plain and seems to fade into the background, but when she's excited or enraged, she is transformed. Her cheeks flushed, her eyes kindled in the sun. Right now, she is a bead of quicksilver moving through the crowd. She is luminous. By mid-morning, they are 5,000 strong, standing shoulder to shoulder. They extend for blocks. They shout and laugh and hold placards and sing songs. With the power of their bodies, they refuse their exploitation. It takes a little while for the police to show up, and when they do, they stand in confused, restless clusters, watching the girls, not sure how to proceed. In Ontario, at the General Motors strike, Hepburn's hussars rushed the lines with billy clubs. In Chicago, they used tear gas and pistols. But these are girls. What do you do with girls? Some of the protesters wearing their new spring coats and spring hats drift towards the horses and pet them. The cops aren't sure if they're there to flirt or to fight. As a girl strokes the muzzle of a police horse, the animal dips his head. It seems that they have all gathered, not in conflict, but in great-hearted fellowship. The beast tamed a moment of unexpected grace. The mood of the crowd is not fear, it's delight. It looks like everyone's on holiday. The women are shedding their coats, moving freely, stretching in the sun. They have paralyzed the police with their beauty. Then the reinforcements arrive and the battle begins. A flash of light off a cop's baton and she is in Berlin, running down the sidewalk that bloody May Day eight years ago through the tear gas and the shouts, caught between the orders to stop and the calls to run. She will not run, not this time. Hand in hand, facing the lines, she lifts her chin, and all she feels is calm and righteous exhilaration. Who has time for books these days, folks? I I, I don't know. Who has time for movies these days? (laughs) I think it's easier to consume a movie. Uh, Speaking of movies, I'm going to go back to another movie. Now, I know this movie officially came out last year, but it was only this year that I finally got to see it. Uh, Shiva Baby, as one reviewer called it, claustrophobic Jewish humor, and I think it sums up uh, it very well. The director, Emma Seligman, grew up in Toronto and attended Northern Secondary School. I have a clip of the trailer for Shiva Baby. I think it's really great to like support females, particularly um, female entrepreneurs. Cool. In the future. <laughs> great. Yeah. Awesome. Danielle! Danielle! Please don't yell. is here and her daughter Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Yeah, so I saw the short when it came out and uh, haven't seen the full movie yet, even though it's on my Crave uh, list of things to watch. Uh, and uh, I, maybe I should pop that to the top of the list, maybe uh, over this. Do week. it. Because it's super Canadian. It's, uh, it's very anxiety inducing, but it's but it's a uh, it's a good watch. Very Jewish at the same time. Excellent. Well, that is our wrap-up of things to do over the and listen to and watch and read over the uh, long Canadian weekend that we have coming up on us. Um, 
We hope you check some of those out. Let us know maybe some of your nachoses uh, that you've been uh, consuming. Uh, send us an email at bonjour at the cjn.ca uh, to give us some of those. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the ending in July 1st, Canada Day, Shabbat Parashat Torah. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our technical production is by Andre Goulet. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at the cjn.ca slash bonjour. If you like Bonjour Chai, we're sure that a friend of yours will like it as well. Let them know about it and get them to subscribe. Really appreciate it. And, and as always, you can email us at bonjour at the cjn.ca to let us know what you thought. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Ilana Zakon. And I'm David Sklar. Good.